welcome to episode 33 of Fitness Unfiltered. I'm Jocelyn Thompson Rule, and today I speak with strength coach and GB Junior head powerlifting coach Jason Coltman. As has been the case recently with a lot of my guests, I've never met Jason before, we've never spoken before, but I knew that I wanted him on the podcast. And also, we do know the same people. He coaches Chloe Wiley, who was on the show a little while back. So, Jason has a wealth, you will hear this when you listen to this podcast. He's got a wealth of knowledge and experience under his belt. But we focus on talking about how he gets his clients out of pain, largely due to his own experience of being injured and what that process was. We talk about my favorite subject, or one of my favorite subjects of many, being a perfectionist and imposter syndrome. It's actually the reason why I got Jason on the show. He had replied to a post I had put up around imposter syndrome and said it really resonated. So I was like, oh, wow, I hear that less from guys. And so I was like, you must come on the show and talk about it. And yeah, just the tools that he uses to deal with it. And finally, we talk about how he takes his experience into his coaching as GB Junior Head Powerlifting Coach. I know that you're going to enjoy this one. I could have talked to him for hours, but I kept it to an hour. (laughs) And I'm definitely going to get him back on again because there is so much more we could and will talk about. So as ever, if you enjoy the show, please leave me a review on iTunes and I look forward to hearing your response on this one. Have a good one. Hi, Jason. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Gosh, no, no. Thank you for coming on. Pleasure, pleasure. You're one of very few males that have been on the show, Jason. So, you know, really, it's it's an honour. So for those who don't know you, please introduce yourself. So I am Jason Courtman. I'm I'm a strength coach. I'm also a powerlifting coach. I'm the head powerlifting coach for the Great Britain junior team. And yeah, that's me. So I'm self-employed. I work with a range of powerlifters, sports players, and I would say just general gym goers and barbell enthusiasts, mainly who want to help with getting out of pain, improving their strength and working on the main barbell movements. Okay, amazing, amazing. What was your, because you got a pretty comprehensive sporting background. Do you want to just talk through that a little bit? My personal sporting background? Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've loved sport from the age of four. Like, I've always played sport. I've always been in and around it. But I suppose the two main sports are rugby to start with. So I spent 13 years playing rugby, school level, county level, academy level. So, yeah, so a long kind of span playing rugby. And then mm-hmm. I finished university and went into pt I just couldn't keep up with with playing rugby and trying to work all the hours. And I just so happened I met the head GB powerlifting coach at the time. Uh, mm-hmm. And then that was a great way for me to try and get involved in another sport because I love competition. And I had this kind of, I guess, period where I didn't do much sport and I was just, just training in general. And um, mm-hmm. I introduced the strongman and powerlifting and that gave me a, a great opportunity to start competing again. So I did four strongman competitions and then kind of dived into powerlifting. And since kind of halfway through 2015, powerlifting has been has been my main sport. I was lucky enough to compete at the World Championships in Texas. Wow. 
and yeah, I've just been competing and coaching kind of from there. Wow, phenomenal. The World Championships in Texas, that sounds so damn good. I love it. So obviously, you know, you've just introduced yourself as a coach. You've got an incredible sporting background. One thing that just struck me about how you introduced yourself was this idea of getting people out of pain. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So I've had a number of injuries over the past, but I think the kind of, I would say the turning point where my mind shifted and the kind of the work that I did kind of shifted was when I got an injury in at the beginning of 2017. So I'd never really had a, a major injury that wasn't impact related, obviously like due to rugby. And I injured my back. So that kind of stopped me from competing for a while. And I shifted my kind of my mindset into getting out of pain, into injury rehab, and just looking at ways to train around pain and then ways to train to improve pain and really try to understand why injuries happen and what you can do to help to prevent them. I don't think you can actually prevent them from happening they are inevitable but you can reduce the risk of them happening and Mm. I've been injured and kind of got myself back from injury it just so happened that I had a lot of people contact me asking to help them to get out of pain as well and I think it was just the kind of me sharing my journey and what I was doing at the time and how I've kind of come back from, from various injuries and niggles that I just seem to be getting inquiries of people saying I've got this back pain or I get pain when I deadlift or I squat and they've been coming to me to kind of help me to get them out of pain and then get back lifting again. And I think it's just that thing of they were able to relate to me because I've gone through a similar thing while they started started to come to me. And I've just kind of, I suppose, developed a little bit of a a passion for helping people to, to do that because I know how frustrating it can be to be injured and feel like you have no way out, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Because obviously everyone's really different in terms of the injuries they have, the pain that they have. What was that process like for you from, as you said, you know, that that kind of non-impact injury that you'd get like, you know, or the impact injury you'd get, sorry, from something like rugby. What was that process like for you to, I guess, recover from that? It was massively, massively frustrating because at the time I couldn't understand entirely why it happened like you say it wasn't like I got a big knock and it was like okay that's that's why I got injured I felt like I was doing everything kind of of right I suppose I I wasn't as knowledgeable as I am now about recovery and certain things you should be doing and working on throughout your training on on a constant basis so Mm. it was a really like I wouldn't change it for anything because I think it really helped me to develop as a coach and as an athlete because it opened mm. my eyes to so many things and it caused me to go and research so many different areas and topics. I saw a number of different specialists, got MRI scans and saw a load of physios, which I picked up a lot of knowledge from, but it didn't completely kind of improve or, or make me better. So it was it was a long period and it's been up and down. So 2017, I got my first injury. I worked back to a competition in a year and a half later so that was a a long period and then Mm. I did the competition and I got injured shortly after again 
about six months afterwards. And then, so that was, again, highly frustrating to think that you're doing everything right. And then I just stumbled across only recently, about six months ago, a physio that kind of put a different twist on it and told me something that I hadn't really given much kind of respect. I'd thought about it and it was basically my feet. And he he basically Mm -hmm. was able to say to me that the injuries that I've, that I've had kind of over the last two and a half, three years has largely stemmed from my, my feet and my adductors. And, and it was, that was a massive relief and also an eye opener because there are two things that I hadn't really focused on in like the mm. that I've been doing. So to give you a bit of context, obviously it, it, it was the back that, that I injured and then it was my hip. And the first thing that I think a lot of people tend to go to when they say, oh, I've got back pain is, oh, I need to strengthen my glutes. And, mm. or I don't know, four or five different people had told me, focus on your glute need, focus on your glutes. And I was like, I knew categorically I did not have weak glutes. Like we've done all the tests in the world. I work a lot on, on my glutes and I know they can produce a lot of force. So I, I kind of picked mm. up before I saw this guy a few, a few months ago. And I think having that was a big relief, finding out something that I hadn't heard before in like the two years of, of being injured was great. And now mm. I'm really onto something and I, I haven't been experiencing the pain that I've, that I've felt and everything's been feeling a lot better. But the whole kind of process from getting injured, getting re-injured twice and then getting back to now, now I can really appreciate it. It was very frustrating at the time, but I would say that it's really taught me a lot and I've grown not just in a knowledge sense in, in what I know and what I'm able to help other people with, but mentally as well. Because I, I mm. did kind of enter a few dark places when at times when I was injured and I was really, I would say, quite depressed. And there were times, I don't think, I've only told this to a handful of people, but there were times where I actually actually cried. Like I was sitting outside crying more out of frustration because I know how hard I work in the gym. Mm. And when you're trying to, to achieve something and you're working so hard physically, but your body just basically says no, but your head really wants to go it's a massive conflict and puts you in not a very good place. Um, mm, absolutely. So knowledgeably and, and mentally it's really helped me. Yeah. Fantastic. And as you, you know, the, the word that you used was, you know, frustrating. And, and as you've just described doing everything that you physically could, that you, you know, you knew to do, and that's still not working. Of course that would be frustrating. And of course that would then lead on to feelings of de- depression and, and, and all of that stuff. And really what an experience to go through as well. And as you say, you've come out the other side of that so much more knowledgeable around recovery and rehabilitation, you know, itself, but that whole process of dealing with it mentally too, because it's almost like two journeys at the same time, right? The physical one and the, right, I'm, I'm inside my head. I need to to try and stay positive through all of this, you know, frustrating as it is. And, that, and at some points it just, it just gets too much, right? With the feet, what was the discovery from this foot magician? We, I need to know who he was and what he did. <laughs> so his name's Mark and he's actually an osteopath. And I think he focuses more on on runners and running but his kind of I would say prognosis was that I knew always knew my feet were flat but it was the fact that my feet were flat and I had been kind of forcing myself too much into external rotation so again 
this is another thing that kind of everybody thinks the knees going in when you squat is terrible. Push the knees out, push the knees out, push the knees out. And mm. like anything, too much of something is is not good. And I was, mm. I was constantly trying to to drive my knees out. I was overworking all of the lateral portion of my hip, my quads. I had underdeveloped uh, calves and adductors, a really mm. um, flat arch, fallen arch, and no strength in my foot. And that was it was crazy. And it was something that I really appreciated because when he got me to do certain things like stand on one leg, do a calf raise, everything would fall out. My big toe would come off the floor. And it's something mm. I knew I could work on that actually felt weak. Whereas when I was getting told my glute med was weak, it wasn't. Like they were doing all the tests. It didn't fall in. I could produce a lot of force. And I felt strong there. Like it can't be that. So I didn't really, I was kind of at, at a loss. So it was all of that stuff that he started to get me to work on that I could really notice a difference almost immediately. And I've been working on it for kind of the last six months now. I've got into barefoot shoes, doing a lot of stuff barefoot. And and this is all kind of the whole injury from when it first started. Also from seeing from seeing Mark has kind of put me on a, a kind of movement journey as well. So I'm really interested and focused not only on just lifting big weights and getting strong, but really focusing on the quality of the movement. And I know in the sport that I'm involved in, powerlifting, the main aim is to lift as much weight as possible, but you can't mm-hmm. do that if you're injured. So making sure that you move well and you've got good movement capabilities and also are quite diverse in what you're able to do is a big kind of part of what I coach people and I think is a great foundation to have regardless of the sport that you're in. Yeah. Amazing. What a journey. That's so cool. And also just so great that you finally met someone who wasn't going to tell you the same damn thing. And often it is the case that, you know, glute meat's a bit weak or whatever, but especially, you know, for someone like yourself who knows your body, you know where the strengths are. That just wasn't the thing. That just wasn't the solution. And also to have that, ah, okay, that's the bit I can work on. Surely that was, you know, also a turnaround point in, yes, right, I know I can work on this. I know I can get this stronger. So all of a sudden, you, rather than, you know, continuing to work on something you already knew was strong, yeah. you're now going, I see where that weakness is. And I, I don't always like to use that word when we're talking about the body, but you saw that area that you could work on. And as you say, you're still doing it now. And it's also taken you on a, a movement journey, which is no bad thing as we get older. Not that I'm suggesting you're of any age where you should be concerned about it. Yeah, no, I, 100% I agree with that. And I think it's it's just been great because my mindset has, has developed and I'm not naive enough to think that I'm never going to get injured again. But the way that... I deal with it and the way I approach it and the way that I can help to coach my my clients on their mindset around all of that has improved massively. And I think I've just, it's just kind of strengthened my passion to to help people, not only to improve their performance, but to also help people that are maybe going through similar things that I went through and trying to stop that from happening. So working with people to kind of educate them on why certain things need to be done and be included in their program, in their training in their time outside the gym so that they don't have to come up, up mm. against the kind of the problems that I, I was facing. Because I think a lot of the, the stuff that I kind of went through possibly could have been prevented or avoided had I known what I know now. 
Mm. And what does that look like for the people that you're working with now? So obviously, you know, pre this injury process that you went through, you're an incredible athlete. You're obviously, you know, we're already a, a fantastic coach. What has changed now in, in how you do that? So what does that look like for, you know, an individual or individuals that you're working with now? What are those kind of, I presume, add in pieces? I think it's just being more thorough and aware of what that person actually needs to succeed for the long term. And so I'm all about longevity as well. So for example, if somebody, and this is, I've actually had this three or four clients in, in the last couple of weeks that I've had to do this with. If somebody comes to me to say they want to develop their squat bench and deadlift, they want to get stronger and they want to get bigger, that's great. But then I think looking at that in a wider lens, so before, when I first started out, I was all about trying to give people exactly what they wanted straight away and make sure they're happy when they walk out the door, which I still want to do now. But it's, I come from more of a place of education now. And it's just so that happens to be the case that I had a couple of people that had those goals, but I could see that they just weren't ready. So I could see that their stability wasn't great. They didn't have a good base level of, of strength or fitness and their mobility wasn't great. So for me to then throw them straight under a bar and get them working on the exercises they want to do would be irresponsible. And later down the line, they would definitely end up getting injured or um, at the very least not progressing. So what that would look like would, meet, would be me saying to them, look, we have to do X, Y, and Z before we start working on what it is you actually want to work on. So it, it's trying to show and explain process. And I, I really believe that if you can create buy-in for whoever you're working with and kind of educate them and explain to them why they're doing what they're doing, then adherence is going to be much better as well and get them on board. But these people that wanted to to get stronger in, in the main lifts have been on a four to eight week program or are on a four to eight week program that mainly focuses on developing their core strength, developing their stability, making sure that they have the ranges at each joint and the flexibility in their muscles to take the muscles through the range of motion that is required when you're doing a full squat or a deadlift, for example, and working on all of those kind of areas before we then progress onto a barbell back squat, bench press and, and deadlift, for example. So yeah, I don't know if that kind of answers your question, but it's just... yeah having the, I suppose, the confidence and the experience now to be okay with saying, this is what you want, but this is what you need in order to get to what you want. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think before, I, I would have just wanted to give them exactly what they wanted there and then, even though that maybe isn't where they're ready to to start. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as you say, uh, and I'm also a big fan of this around, you know, having that long-term view or, or you know, making sure that there's longevity around someone's training. You also, you know, have applied that to the coaching relationship that they have with you of, well, I could give you what you want in the short term, but we're going to come unstuck in however long we realize we can't progress you because you have limited, you know, mobility or whatever it is. And to then again, to your point, having that confidence to know now this is what they need. This is what I'm going to give them and potentially, and correct me if I'm wrong, if somebody is not willing to go through that 
process in order to get to wherever it is they want to go. Is that something that you then say, well, you know, I probably can't do what I need to do with you unless you work through this process. If somebody said, I'm not interested in all of that, I just want to, you know, get under the bar and lift some heavy shit. And you know that that's not safe for them to do so. Would you then go, okay, well, perhaps I'm not the coach for you. 100% because I'm, I'm interested in, in getting the best result for you that I can, but also in the safest way. And it's not integrity is one of my biggest core values as well. And it it wouldn't be ethical integral for me to to take somebody's money, knowing that I'm not going to be able to do the best job that, that I can. So I would explain to them why I think this is the necessary approach. And, and if they if they choose to ignore it, then that, that's totally fine. But I wouldn't feel comfortable working with somebody and allowing them to do something that I didn't think was in their best interests. Mm-hmm. And you then you then also take them on, on a, a journey of understanding their body better as well, right? Because... Yeah. Yeah. And so then they also get to see those you know, the improvements aren't just then, you know, the numbers on the bar or the weight on the bar. It's, ah, do you know what that just feels, it can be something as tiny as, do you know, that just, that feels just a little bit better than when I did it last week. I feel a little bit, you know, more comfortable doing that movement. And that progress is enough. And teaching them that, that pro, and you don't even have to teach them that. I think when they feel that they're like, you know, that's a little, it's a little milestone on the way to the longer journey that they've decided to take. So I just, I'm just a huge fan of that approach and stripping things back. Of course, you know, there's always an element, an element, an element of giving people what they want, which you are, But you're saying, let me give you what you need first and then I can get you there, you know, if you're willing to put in that consistent work. Amazing, amazing. Now, the first reason that I wanted to get you on here is because I put a little post out not long ago and it was around imposter syndrome. And you sent me a message and I, and I knew of you because I had already, you know, I know Chloe Wiley and I know that you coach her and just knew that you were an all round good guy, Jason. <laughs> but, um, you messaged me because I, I, I had uh, written a post that pointed to imposter syndrome and, and you had said actually that really resonated. And first of all, I was just like knowing you and knowing your work and all of that stuff. I was like, Jason, like, how did he ever feel that? What the hell? And then, you know, I kind of thought, actually, I would love to chat to him about it. Cause it's something that, you know, I work a lot with, I work alongside men and women in fitness, but I, I work particularly with female coaches. And it's something that's really common in the female coaching community, this idea of not knowing enough or worrying about what other people think or all of that stuff. But I've heard it less so from guys. And so do you want to talk a little bit about that and what, what your experience has been? Yeah, I mean, I would hazard a guess that it's maybe less heard of in men, purely because I think in general, men just aren't great at talking about things and expressing things. And I I just looked at the post and it was, uh, you're not going to know more by worrying about not knowing enough. And I think that's Mm. the case. I think anybody that is is trying to better themselves or in a competitive environment, that there is always a kind of element of, 
competition where you have to be at your best. And I think inevitably people will compare themselves rightly or wrongly to, to others. And I think that can create kind of anxiety and pressure to, to want to do better just in and of itself. But Mm -hmm. for me personally, I only came across the actual kind of term coined imposter syndrome, I think about a year ago. But when I actually started reading into it and researching it more, I actually realized that I've, I've literally been experiencing this from, from childhood, where I've always wondered why I'm such a perfectionist and why I have to get everything right and why I set myself such high standards. And then when I don't achieve them, I beat myself up about it. And, and I think that's similar to a lot of people. And that's basically what I've been doing almost all my life, like with, without even knowing it. So from kind of from coaching or from being coached from a young age and things in school, I've always tried to do things to the best of my ability, even down to little things where I used to rip pages out of my school books because I'd make a mistake and it, it just wasn't good enough. And I'd be like, right, I need to, I need to redo that. Mm. Um, and I used to set targets for myself, like playing rugby, getting into certain teams and performing a certain way. I used to look at other people and say, oh, I, I didn't, I might've scored. I think I remember one time I scored like three tries in a match, but somebody else did something really good. And rather than focusing on what I did, I was thinking, that guy did did so much better than me. He did X, Y, and Z. And mm. one of the the kind of the big characteristics of imposter syndrome is internalizing your failure, but externalizing your success. So attributing your success to, I don't know, luck or being in the right place at the right time, for example. And then more recently as a coach, when I was kind of at university and when I did my strength and conditioning internship, there was these coaches that I was getting taught by and I looked up to. And I remember just thinking, how the hell am I ever going to be at that standard? Like this guy knows so much and he just seems to be reeling off information like nobody's business. He knows every muscle in the body and he knows origin, the insertion, and he knows this and he knows that. And I I remember just thinking to myself, this is crazy. Like, I'm never going to be able to get to this standard. So then as I started out, like, personal training and then kind of progressing, I was kind of thinking I'm I'm working with people and and at levels that I never kind of imagined myself at, but I always wanted to be at, if that made sense. And I didn't feel, Mm -hmm. I suppose I didn't feel worthy of actually being there. And I was Mm -hmm. thinking... Anytime, like at any point, I'm going to get found out. Like, I'm not supposed to be here. I don't know enough to be working with this person. And it, it's affected me in a, in a lot of ways to the point where I've, I've even turned down clients that now I actually, actually regret. But I turned down clients out of fear of not being able to do a good job. Even though I may have worked with similar people before, I've thought in my head, what if I don't do very well with this person? What if... This, this person's supposed to be a great athlete and I don't do a good job, that's going to be on me. So if I don't take on this person, then I can't get judged by anybody because no one's going to see that I'm a bad, doing a bad job and no one's going to see that, that I'm a fraud, basically. Um, mm. And that's, that's an, an avoidance technique or, or tactic that mm. I think a lot of people do as well. So yeah. 
yeah, I mean, I, I could talk about it like for days. There, there's loads of stuff going on. I think when I got selected, um, well, it was by default, but I suppose I'm doing it again now. But I went to the world. <laughs> I went to the world as a as a reserve lifter, and I, that that was a really massive thing for me because I genuinely felt like I didn't have the right to be there, and that I shouldn't have gone. And everything in my head was saying, "I'm only there because." somebody else couldn't go, which I was, but that made me then go into a whole cascade of things of, oh, everyone's going to think I'm a fraud. No one thinks I deserve to be here. I'm not good enough to be here. I don't have the right to be competing internationally. All of this stuff mm-hmm. going on in my head, but I, I went there. I wasn't the weakest guy in my field. I didn't come last. I held my own. I got nine lifts out of, eight lifts out of nine. Wow. And that year, GB actually came third overall, which I think was the best result that they had. So even though there was information to say that actually I did a pretty good job, everything in my head was focusing on, not on the good stuff that I did, the fact that I competed in an international competition and got eight lifts out of nine and lifted probably the best I had at the time. It was all focused on the negative stuff. Wow. So that's the the kind of the competing side of it. And even to this day, like with, with coaching, I think with social media as well, that's a massive point and a massive kind of thing that, that increases imposter syndrome because every day you see people's best on Instagram. You see other coaches getting good results with people, doing great stuff, putting out great information. And it's it's very difficult not to compare yourself to that. And it's very easy mm-hmm. to look at them and think, how do they do it without struggling so much? When in actual fact, they're probably struggling with a lot of the same things that, that, that I am. And that's one of the kind of thoughts that's really helped me to, to deal with it. So, yeah, so that's kind oh, of yeah. experience with it. Yeah. And it's uh, just, you know, the interesting, I mean, all of it is incredibly interesting and my mind is just blowing. So I'm like, how is, how is Jason <laughs> saying all of this? Does he not know how amazing he is? But, you know, the idea of internalizing your failure and externalizing your success. So it wasn't you, it was down to everything else being in place. And that's the reason why you, you know, succeeded. I mean, I always say, and it's interesting as well, that you mentioned that this idea of of imposter syndrome and that you've always been a, a perfectionist. And I always say I'm a recovering perfectionist because I understand the how restricting it can be to always want for things to be perfect because it, it's just a, a point that you can you can never reach. And also it's like, I don't know if you've heard of the book um The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. I haven't no it's a brilliant book and he talks about this idea of, of resistance and resistance always comes up, um, you know, when you're, when you're working towards something. So it could be the voice in your head. It could be, you know, a string of things, a string of events happening that, you know, don't go your way to sort of, you know, block you from, from moving forward. And, and he almost says that you need to befriend this idea of, you know, befriend this uh, resistance because it's always there. You just need to become um, more aware of it. But he was talking, he's a writer, obviously, because he wrote a book, but that is his jam writing. And he talks about, you know, I think, I don't know if it was his first book, but it was maybe one of his first few pieces of writing. And he was just like, this is the shit. Like, this is so damn good. This is my best work ever. It was either that or it could even have been 
a film or a script, totally <laughs> losing exactly what it was. Anyway, yeah. but he said once it, it was out there and it completely tanked, like everyone thought it was shit. Yeah. And yet he thought that that was his best work and he was so proud of it and that that you know then taught him to be like actually do you know what just get the work out there just consistently keep showing up and doing it because even the stuff that you think is amazing isn't necessarily going to be you know received in that in that way and so that taught me a lot and then I had some experiences around that too. I had written this program. I was like, this is awesome. I'm going to send it to a few people that, you know, I I know would be the ideal consumer for it. So I think I sent it to about 20 people just to ask for feedback. And really what I meant by that was, I want you to tell me how awesome it is. (laughs) And, And then I got 20 different pieces of feedback from 20 different people. And I was really like, how irritating. I can see what they mean and I can see their point, but I'm really annoyed that they just didn't come back and tell me it was brilliant. And so through those experiences, I started to understand, all right, stop trying to make everything perfect and just start to put things out at 70%, 80%, because that's always going to be good enough, particularly if you're a perfectionist, particularly if you're one of those people who are like, I'm just going to make sure everything is is covered. And so now I, I always say I'm a recovering perfectionist, but that it's always still secretly there. Like, you know, in um, Avengers Assemble, when Bruce Banner turns around and turns into the Hulk and he's like, my secret is I'm always angry. And I'm like, my secret is I'm always a perfectionist, but I just, you know, try and keep it at bay. And then I actually worked with um, sports psychologists and Casey Page around that because I knew that I really, really used to focus so much on what other people thought and it really, really affected me. And of of course, you know, as you said, the reality is that people are way too busy thinking about themselves than they are thinking about about you or what you're doing but in your head you can you can just make it so much bigger than it is and also that's probably one of the main reasons as you say you know from the coaching side you know a lot of the coaches that I work with they're just like I'm so afraid to get stuff wrong I'm worried about what other coaches think of me I don't feel like I'm ever going to know enough and I'm so grateful for you know, when I, when I first started out, I started out 17 years ago, there wasn't any social media then, you know, the biggest thing around who you were as a trainer was your profile picture on the, on the gym wall in the foyer, you know, saying, Oh, PT and da la And I was so grateful to start out at that time because it meant that I could just get on and do my job. I, the only other coaches that I saw were those who were immediately around me in the gym. And so, there was that luxury to kind of sit back and and learn from them rather than having this kind of noise on social media of what, you know, other coaches are doing. And it is a highlight reel because no one is, no one is showing up, you know, no one's showing up as soon as they get out of bed looking rough, you know, (laughs) like they're just not, some are, but, but, you know, from the start of the day, like everything I post, I post nice posts. I'm not going to post shitty posts. And that's just the, that's just the nature of it. But, you know, as you say, it, it does then make people feel like, are they good enough? Do they know enough? And, and I also think that it affects the route that people go in terms of education, because I do think that 
the constant comparison to other coaches makes newer coaches for sure feel like, oh, I need to know this and I need to learn this and I need to know this and I need to learn this. And they never fully grasp any concept. And it's this kind of chasing of more courses and more education and to keep up, but actually not just sitting with the knowledge that they have and actually using that on the gym floor, like getting that hands-on experience and taking that with them. Because for me, you know, learning and I learned the most from actually working with people in person and trying things out and okay, great, that works for this person, maybe not so much for this person. And it's this constant process of learning and it, and it still is now. I, I think I'll never stop hands-on work because it's, I love it so much and I continue to learn stuff. So yeah, it's a, it's a funny old thing, the imposter syndrome. And is there, have you ever worked with anybody, any sports psychologists or anyone to deal with that? Or it's something that you've just kind of tackled yourself and, and are aware of yourself? Well, I've not worked with any sports psychologists. I've actually really thought about working with sports psychologist and, and a psychologist in, in general, just to better understand and have a better self-awareness and level of emotional intelligence of, of myself. And I think mm. over the last year, I think I've grown massively in that sense. And I just think that in terms of dealing with it, reading and researching has really helped helped me. And one of the biggest things I read, I read this book called The Imposter Cure, and, and that really helped me because I literally had a highlighter and I've almost highlighted every single page because <laughs> it's it, one big it, highlight <laughs> down to a T of what it is, why it happens, where it comes from, and then how to deal with it as well. So I, I've, from reading this book, like there's different types of imposter and I really identify with the perfectionist and the expert, which is basically being perfect, setting unrealistic standards for yourself all the time Sometimes you achieve them, but it's totally impossible to maintain that that standard. So then you're stuck in this constant cycle of doing well, ignoring the good stuff, focusing on the negative parts and self-criticizing. Then you think, oh, I've made so many mistakes. I can't have done that well. And people think I've done well, so I'm a fraud. Then you think, how am I going to keep it up? You get anxious and then you you work 10 times as hard just to keep up, keep it up. And then... You've got the expert, which is me again, which is the, the need to know knowledge, which I think is most people. And is you never think you know enough unless you have like a fully comprehensive idea of something or understanding of something, you think that you're not good enough. And what this book really kind of taught me was that imposter syndrome is basically based around fear, which is an emotion and a feeling. And feelings aren't facts. So I've got I've got a diary that I that I use and I, I write and I do gratitude every morning and I do affirmations. And one of the affirmations that I write nearly every day is that my feelings and my emotions aren't fact or aren't based on fact. And that really, really helps me to know that, right, I'm feeling this. And I've got a saying that, I, that I've learned from one of my business mentors that you need to get comfortable being uncomfortable. So mm-hmm. I think I've got a lot better at recognizing, right, this is my imposter talking. This is the imposter voice telling me, you've done a bad job, you're not good enough, you're not capable of doing this. And now I just mm. say, okay, that, that's the imposter. I call him my chimp because I, I don't know if you heard the book, The Chimp Paradox. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and, I, and I, I just refer to it as a chimp and I say, this is, this is the chimp talking. I, I can laugh at him. He's telling me one thing, but I know it's not an actual 
fact. Mm. And I think it's important to try and recognise when that's going on. And then I think the difference between people that are, are really confident and the people that are maybe not so is that the confident people have learned how to react to that. I think everybody feels it and I don't think it's going to go away and I don't expect that feeling to go. But I think the difference with me now is I'm starting to be able to recognise that feeling and kind of getting on with it and, and kind of feeling the fear and doing it anyway. That really helps. And then focusing on all of your success as well. So I have client testimonials I've written down and I actually save screenshots of every good message that I get from a client that says, oh, thanks for, I don't know, making me stronger. Or, I feel great today. Or X, Y, or Z, whatever it might be, I save it. And whenever I'm feeling like really overwhelmed or really out of my depth, I'll look back at those things and think about the good things that I've done. Because I, I have had a lot of success. Mm. I focus on that rather than focusing on the reasons why I can't do something or the reasons why maybe I wasn't so good. And that, that really helps. And one of the other things is looking at, and this is what my now business coach taught me, was to listen to the way I talk to myself and, and really take note because I've, I'm, I'm always very critical. One of my things is I always want to do better. I want to do better and achieve more. Mm. which is great. But if you can't recognize the good things that you do, then you're always going to be wanting and you're never going to be happy or content mm. with what it is that you're doing. So mm. thinking about the way I speak to myself and trying to be more compassionate rather than critical, which is another mm. thing this, this book has taught me, is uh, are, are really good coping strategies. And I think mm. that what it kind of boils down to is that imposter syndrome is fear and your kind of your open strategies at the minute for for that for that fear is working hard or being a perfectionist, whereas you need to try and reverse that and kind of focus on the things that the positive things that that you can control. So that's kind of how I've, I've how I've been dealing with it, and also talking about it. I've had probably four or five conversations with different different coaches about imposter syndrome and about how they might feel and people that have wanted to help people on Instagram and do posts, but actually are kind of too afraid out of fear of being judged by other coaches. And one of mm. the things that's really helped me on that is I'm not trying to help other coaches. I'm trying to help people that yeah. aren't coaches and that don't have the knowledge. So I'm selfish if I don't post daily or regularly the information knowledge that I do have because there will yeah. be at least one person that could benefit from that. If the other coaches that follow me don't like it or think that it's wrong or whatever, then I just don't, I don't need to listen to that. And if mm -hmm. we unfollow them or, or block them or whatever, because in actual fact, the, the reason I've got social media is to help run my business and help to educate and inspire people. So I think it's, it's the way that you look at it that, and your perspective on it that helps you to, overcome it I don't think it's a feeling that it will necessarily go away but I think you can definitely get better at dealing with it yeah I completely agree yeah it's something that is always there but your awareness of it and then you know the tools that you use around it in your case you've got your gratitude you've got your affirmations you've got the idea of getting you know comfortable with being uncomfortable because that's growth right and that's part of the of the process. And I think that, you know, again, coming from this kind of perfectionist 
way of being that the idea of being uncomfortable yeah. <laughs> is so uncomfortable, yeah. you know, and to not have to do that, to not have to, like, of course, you know, you hear it all the time, like, oh, learn from your failures and, and all that kind of stuff. But failing is still shit. Like it yeah. still feels yeah. shit at the time. There is no, you you don't skip and be like, yes, I'm so happy. I just fuck that up. Like there's not that feeling. It is what it is. It happened. Okay. Right. You know, now what, how do I move forward? And also that self-talk piece is really important. And the awareness around it is really, really important because I think when you start to see the chatter for what it is, you notice just how much of it is there in the back of your mind, just going on and on and on and on until as you recognize it as, you know, the chimp, oh, that's just the chimp, the chimp talking. Okay, cool. It's not me. And, you know, one of the things I learned from the lady Casey Page that I worked with, uh, who's just an incredible woman, she basically was a, a very good rower and a very good horse rider. And when she was 19, she got, um, I now can't remember the name of it, but she basically got very poorly. It wasn't a virus, but it was I can't remember, but it was it, it basically, it was like a very, I'm going to call it, call it a very bad flu. It wasn't the flu, but it basically meant that she went from being a very good athlete to becoming quadriplegic like overnight. And she actually did all of, she kind of refused to, she, her, her mum had, her parents had put her in a, in daycare to be taken care of in the day. And I think her, after her first day there, she called her mom and she said, look, mom, you have to take me out of here. I'm not going to get better here. And then she, as she was laying in bed, you know, not being able to move, she was just like, I know I have my mind. I, I can't move my body, but I have my mind. And so she started to strengthen that muscle. I know your mind's only, your mind's not a muscle necessarily, but you know, she started to strengthen that and worked on it and worked on it. And now she is walking on both legs. She's had two beautiful children, all of these things that she said that she wasn't that she was told that she wouldn't be able to do. And that work on her mindset alone was a thing that got her there, which is incredible. Anyway, she taught me the four question review. And it's something that I, you know, teach to a lot of people, you know, when I can. And it's, you know, looking back on whatever situation it is. And I do it for everything. I'll do it even for this podcast. I'll do it for my day. I'll do it for even, you know, how I'm showing up for my kids. And it's first question is what went well? What would I do differently? how does this give me confidence and how does this make me feel better prepared? Or, you know, you can, you can scratch those, the third and the fourth, just like, what would I do better next time? Another performance psychologist friend of mine, Emma Hackett, she reduces it down to those three questions. And I think the main one is, you know, what would I do differently? Taking whatever it was, that negative thing and going, okay, how would I change that the next time round? And that just helps me so much. Cause even if it's a really rubbish thing, you're like, okay, right. How do I turn that round? Should I, you know, had I've experienced it again? And that's the tools that I use, but, oh, incredible, incredible, incredible. I could legit talk to you all day. <laughs> I have- I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Pardon? I know, right? 50 minutes already. Um, going deep on mindset and recovery and rehabilitation, my favorite topics. One more one more thing I want to talk to you about. So you're the head powerlifting coach for the GB junior team, which is incredible. When you're, what are their ages, first of all? And how do you apply 
all of your learnings, or it's a bit of a big question, but to really make sure that they're still enjoying the sport and that they're still enjoying their youth and also have some longevity? Like what learnings do you take from your experience? Um, um, pass on to them. So it's, it's very difficult because you've got people with different goals and different outlooks. And it's also difficult because I don't coach these people personally. So, I mean, sometimes it's almost an element of, should I be giving my advice to these people like unsolicited advice when they have coaches already? So to, sure. and I'll give you a bit of an example. So these the juniors are from sub junior to junior. So they're any, anything from 14 up to 23 years old. Mm-hmm. And the way it works is I'm mainly competition day coach. So I will go to, I go to the British championships to basically look at how the juniors are performing and how they lift. And then I pick the team largely based on largely, but not solely based on the British championship that takes place. And then mm-hmm. my main role after that is to then pick the team and then go with them to the international. So the world's the Europeans every year. And it's called kind of game day coaching or game day handling. So they essentially would be, we'd have a team in total around 35 lifters, junior, sub junior, men and women. And they have their coaches up and down the country who do their programming and work with them either remotely or one-to-one. Some of them don't have, have coaches. And then it's my job to basically facilitate them on that day of performance, make sure they're, their nerves are good, make sure they're okay, make sure they've basically got everything that they need to perform the best that they can. And then also provide a bit of an objective eye and point of view on what I think they they should go for in terms of their attempts. So you, I'm not sure if you're familiar with powerlifting, but they get three attempts at each. Mm-hmm. They, they come mm-hmm. in usually with an idea of what they want for their opener, the second attempt, and then their third. And then you also have to have a look quite closely at what other lifters are doing, if it's competitive. Me personally, I think the first two lifts are the squats and the bench press. Whatever you put on the bar isn't usually affected by what other people lift. But in the deadlift, especially the last lift, that's the one where the kind of coach has to do the main bulk of the work, which is trying to make sure that the right numbers on the bar Depending on what mm. everybody else is lifting when you're trying to fight for, for medals and placings. So that's mm-hmm. kind of my role as, as the coach there. But that being said, I have spent a bit of time and at different championships, I, I am around and I'm in contact with a lot of the junior lifters via Instagram. Mm-hmm. Like only yesterday I was I was coaching a kind of a mock competition because the British Championships this year got cancelled due to COVID. So I, I mm-hmm. do spend a little bit of time around the juniors and have some interaction with them as well. And I'd like to think that I try and pass on as much kind of sense and wisdom as, as I can. You do get certain lifters with, because obviously 23 isn't, isn't necessarily a junior in, in many other terms. So you sure. get junior lifters that are quite mature and they know they've really got their head screwed on and they know where they're going and they really take in their time with things and they know that they're 23, they could be lifting until they're well into their 40s and 50s. So they have quite a mm. good approach about how they train. Then on the other mm-hmm. other scale, you've got 
lifters who maybe get a little bit overzealous um, in their attempts and in their training. They maybe concentrate too much on what other people are doing and mm. they let the numbers that they pick in training and in competition be dictated somewhat by what other people are lifting and what they think they should be lifting for where they're at. So I try to, as much as I can, kind of let them know that that's not the case, that you need to focus on yourself. Um, powerlifting yeah. it is an individual sport. And, and at the end of the day, whatever you can lift, nobody else is going to influence that but you. And mm -hmm. the big thing that I've kind of learned is that obviously you can't improve if you're injured. The amount of time an injury sets you back can be so detrimental in terms of powerlifting and your progress. You could tweak something very lightly, but that might set you back six to eight weeks. So the any progress is good progress and you have to look at it with a long-term mindset and basically mm. lift what you can lift and, and stay in your lane. Focus on you, focus on improving what you need to improve and don't get distracted, influenced or deterred by anybody else really. So that's why I try and pass on to people and I have worked with a few junior lifters and I've got a couple at the minute and, and that's the kind of mindset that I'm keeping them in to just to help them with their own progression really and help them to realize that they could be lifting for a very long time and the results that they're getting right now aren't going to be indicative of what they're going to be lifting in the future but it does take time and I think lifting in general is one of those things and I explain this even to my my clients that aren't competing in powerlifting that it's a process. It's a gradual process and it's not something that's just going to happen overnight. And you have to understand what the process is and the kind of, I would say, I don't know, the hoops that you have to jump through in order to get to a certain level and be okay with that. And also try and enjoy it as you're doing it. Because a lot of the time people set their sights on kind of targets that are very ambitious and you have to be open to the fact that you may not ever get to where you're where you want to get to. And also if you do get to where you want to get to, you might not be as satisfied as you think you are. So if you spend all your time trying to improve and you put all this energy into getting somewhere and you don't actually enjoy the process, when you get there, you could be like really, really dissatisfied. Mm. It's, just, it's just that kind of level of, of maturity and, and understanding that I, I try to impart onto them obviously that's limited the amount you can do that at competition but I think sure. during competition I think that there has been occasions where there have been quite a few juniors who have kind of learnt and been willing to listen to what I have to say in terms of the attempts that they make and being a little bit more sensible and just recognizing on the day that you might come into competition expecting to hit all these pbs and one kind of common theme of a lot of the junior lifters is trying to set records and hit PBs and hit national records at international competitions. And it's not really about that because records are always going to get taken. We're, what you're trying to do is, is compete for places, medals, medals are forever and titles are forever. So you're trying to get the highest place in and trying to get medals if, if you can. So trying to get them to kind of leave their ego at the door, so to speak, and forget about arbitrary numbers, but focus on their performance is one of the other things I try and get people to, to kind of focus on. But it is difficult when 
I don't work with that person personally. Yeah. And them and their coach have a goal for their lifter. So you have to kind of strike a balance with with helping them. And like I said before, just trying to facilitate them to do the best that they can without mm. kind of allowing them to do anything stupid on the day. Mm. Um, mm. Absolutely wise words there in terms of taking that long-term view. Like don't get an absolute, you know, don't get carried away with numbers and, you know, all that stuff. And also this idea of staying in your lane, like that's the only focus you should have, right? Because what everyone else is doing doesn't matter. It's just you and, you know, what your body can do on that given day. And sometimes like other things just come into play that, you know, you can't help, but staying in your lane, having that long-term view, not rushing it. Yeah. It's all you need to do. Yeah. Right. And it's it, 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 that, the only exception I would say big lesson is, for, for your training, for your life, for your business. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just the only exception I would say is without doing anything stupid, but some of the junior lifters, they have certain goals and it's not their goal to lift forever for the rest of their life. So in that sense, there, there may be a little bit more urgency or there may be a little, a little bit more of a sense of pushing a bit harder in the gym and in your sure. time, which I think is yeah. okay. If you're 20 years old and you think, right, I'm going to push for the next three years and then I'm done with powerlifting, then mm. okay, you can you can push a little bit more within reason. But with, with yeah. the majority of the lifters and the majority of my powerlifters who aren't necessarily juniors or international lifters, the focus is more on longevity and, and having fun because not everyone's going to be a, a world champion. So yeah. It, if you focus solely on winning the British or winning a certain competition, you could be massively disappointed because you can't control what mm. other people lift. So it, mm. I think it's a, a big, to, to some degree, keep an eye on on the competition and have an idea of of what they're doing. But by and large, focus on yourself and your development and your training yeah. and doing and being the best that, that you can be. Yeah, amazing. Jason, what an absolute joy you are <laughs> to talk to you. I could, I've already decided you're coming back on. I feel like we haven't even touched the sides, if you would do so. But where can people find you? Instagram, Jason Courtman Strength Coach, underscore Strength Coach. Um, Jason Courtman yeah. Strength Coach on Facebook and my yeah. website, uh, com. Incredible. Thank you so much. I have no doubt that people are going to be, I would say, ringing down your phone because obviously you haven't left your phone number, but I have no doubt that people will absolutely be in touch. Your Just your view of everything and obviously the experience that you've gone through in the last two to three years has contributed to that a lot. But um, I honestly could listen to you all day in terms of, you know, your mindset, how you view things, that self-work piece. It's something that I'm, you know, pretty obsessed with as well, just self-development. And I think that it's, uh, yeah, it's been an absolute joy having you on the show. So thank you so very much for coming on. And I hope uh, post-COVID times, I will actually meet you in person. We can sit down over coffee and philosophize over mindset and (laughs) all such things. But thank you so much for coming on the show. And um, I hope to see you very soon. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers, Justin. Cheers. Thanks, Jason. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.